You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. We are going to finish up with the book of Job. Do you remember what happened last week? I tried to make it more conversational for you. I tried to put it in a way where we could understand what's going on in the middle more than just I can tell that they're angry with each other and they're yelling back and forth. What is going on? Remember, we have cycles that are happening, and Job is going to talk, and then Eliphaz, and then Job, and then Bildad, and then Job, and then Zophar. And then Job is going to say something again. We made it through the first two cycles. But the main question of the book is, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen? Do you remember what the friend's argument was? What did Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar come back and say really in the first cycle? Bad things happen because why? Bad things happen because, Job, you did bad things. When we look back in history and we see how God works with evil and sin, I mean, you must have done something. Now, what does Job say? Of course I'm a sinner, but he even prays to the Lord. He says, thou knowest I'm not wicked, but I, I, I want to declare my innocence to you. I want to say that I'm right, but I know that that makes me look really bad because when I say I'm innocent, I'm actually condemning myself because that's pride. So I'm so confused. I, I really don't know what to do or what to say. Now, Then he basically says, you know, I I just want to know why God won't forgive me and why he won't won't move on. And then Bildad comes back. Are you questioning God? No, I'm not questioning what God is doing. I just want to know why. I just want to know why he's doing it. How many of you have ever had that question? God, you can do whatever you want to whoever you want. You're God. Why does it happen? Lord, 2020 is in your plan. But why? Lord, mosquitoes, why? So Job is saying, I'm not, he's God. He can, and, and what is the pattern that we are seeing? Job keeps saying, I know God, and he lists all these things about God. And then the friends come back and say, we're old enough to be your dad. You think you're going to teach us about God? Here's things that we know about God. And then Job comes back and says, you're preaching to the choir. Here's more things that I know about God. And they're basically like listing off these characteristics of God going back and forth, back and forth, trying to prove their point. Bad things happen because you do bad things. I didn't do anything. So God, is, I, there's no reason. There's no reason for this. He, the, he, at one point he says he is doing this without cause. So then the friends come back and say, you're lying. You're lying to us. Maybe you're good at hiding it. Maybe you were able to look all good on the outside, but there's something wrong on the inside. Job, you're a hypocrite. And I'm sorry that that's mean, but looking back in history, what man do you know who went through something that you went through who didn't do something wrong? And Job is trying to argue his innocence, right? But he's not getting anywhere. He's not getting any pity. At one point he says, have pity on me, my friends. Have pity on me. God is already sending his arrows into me, and now you? That's the last thing I need. So he's not getting anywhere with that in the first and second cycle. So he switches his argument. Okay, your argument is bad things only happen to bad people. Actually, wicked people often are the most prosperous in the world. How do you explain that? And he says, I'll explain it because many times punishment for wicked people isn't in this life. It's in the next life. Men who constantly reject God because they're prosperous and have all that and they don't see any need for God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because they think, I don't need God. I have everything I need right here. So then it causes them to reject God. And Job says, but they're going to get what's coming to them. And that's where we ended. I kind of gave you all of my quiz. So that's where we ended. But now the friends are going to come back, and we're in Job 22. And we're going to continue with the third cycle here. Um, Job's friends come back, 
after Job says, look, God punishes the evil and he punishes the righteous. Sometimes God punishes the wicked right away, but he doesn't always. Sometimes the wicked people live very prosperous lives. So now his friends are going to take issue with that. His friends are going to come back and say, so Job, are you telling us that God sees wickedness and just allows it? Because what is the friend's, what is the friend's main argument? God is just, and he runs the world by justice. So Job, you must have done something wrong in order to merit this act of justice. And Job is saying that doesn't make sense because I know that I'm innocent. So now the friends come back and say, so Job, you are either saying that God sees wickedness and he allows it, or you believe God doesn't see wickedness at all. He just ignores it. So here the third cycle begins in chapter 22 with Eliphaz, and he's going to speak for the final time. And he says, okay, Job, let's say you are righteous. Let's say you are innocent. Does that mean you're profitable to the Lord? Is God punishing you because you might become too perfect? And that's why he's bringing you down. Look in verse 5 of chapter 22. Is not thy wickedness great and thine iniquities infinite? And Eliphaz actually starts naming prospective sins, like hypothetical sins that Job must have done in order to merit all of this happening to him. He says, Job, maybe, uh, let's see here, maybe you stole from your brother. Maybe you stripped clothes from the naked. Maybe you withheld water from the weary or withheld bread from the hungry. Maybe you found a widow that came to your doorstep and you sent her away empty. That's why this is happening to you. Because God always sees the wickedness of this world and he deals with it. So he must have seen something in you. Job keeps coming back saying, you're saying I've sinned. What have I done? Now Eliphaz says, well, maybe this is what you did. Wow. Look at verse 19 and 20. The righteous see it when, he, when he's talking about how God deals with the wicked. When God deals with the wicked, the righteous see it and are glad. And the innocent laugh them to scorn. Now look what Eliphaz says. Whereas our substance is not cut down. Job, we're, we're fine. Our substance is not cut down, but the remnant of them, you, the fire consumeth. Job answers Eliphaz in chapter 23 and basically says, I wish I could argue my case before God, but I can't find him. I, I go, I look behind me and he's not there. I look forward, he's not there. To the left, to the right, I cannot perceive him. But he knoweth the way that I take. In verse 10, that's what Job says. But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Why is Job so confident in that? Because he then says in verse 11 and 12, I know I'm innocent. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept. I am not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. But he is of one mind. And who can turn him? God has obviously said that this is his will for my life, and I can't change his mind. Look at verse 15. Therefore am I troubled at his presence when I consider I am afraid of him. And he then says, I, you know, I wish I had died before all of this happened. Bildad comes back with a six-verse answer. He says, Job, how can you say that you're innocent? How can you say that you're righteous? God is so perfect, and we are so vile. So then Job comes right back and answers him. He says, what you're saying is true. He says in chapter 26, what you're saying is true. But again, you're preaching to the choir. Don't you think I know who God is? And again, here's a pattern. And remember, it's going to come back. That's, I'm pointing out this pattern of Job saying, I know who God is. I know who he is. And his friends say, well, you obviously don't. We know who he is. No, I do. No, we do. And they list off all these things. And so Job does that again in, in uh, chapter 26. And look at what he says in verse 14. Lo, these are parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? All these things that we're listing off, that's just a part of who the Lord is. 
Now, in chapter 27 through 31, Job is going to give this parable. And it's, it's this final parable about him arguing his innocence. And he starts in chapter 27 and basically says, As long as God is alive, I am not going to lie. Verse 5, God forbid that I should justify you. Till I die, I will not remove my integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. What is he saying? I'm innocent. I did not do what you said I am doing. My heart shall not reproach me so long as I live. I am not a hypocrite as you say I am. He continues and he says, I agree that wicked men are punished. I agree with that. But I don't agree that they are always punished immediately. Many times their punishment is held off and even until eternity in hell. So I agree that they're punished, but not always. And, and even when God allows them to be prosperous for a time, he only does it so that they can be cut down. Time out. Doesn't that sound like what happened to Job? And he admits that. He basically says, when God allows wicked men to prosper, he only does it so that he can cut them off and maybe teach a lesson. And he comes back and says, look, I, I, I understand what my situation looks like. I get that, but I'm telling you, you're wrong. I give you my word. I didn't do what you're saying I'm doing. I know it, it's like finding the, the kids, you know, did you go in the... Did you go in the cookie jar? And maybe they didn't, but they still have some chocolate left over from breakfast. And the kid has to say, let me explain. I know what it looks like, but it's not what it looks like. And that's really what Job is saying. I, I, I get it. I understand why you're thinking this, but you're wrong. Chapter 28. At one point, Zophar had told him, oh, Job, I wish that God would show you the secrets of wisdom. And then Job had even said, Lord, I, I want wisdom. I want to be able to know, understand why what is happening is happening. But Job sees it looks really bad, but it's not what it's supposed to be. So I really don't understand why it's happening, and I don't understand how to explain it. So he starts giving this parable about wisdom. And he basically says in chapter uh, 28, men go through all of these pains to find like, great treasure in the world. They overturn mountains to find gold. They ford rivers. They go down trails and paths that not even birds and beasts know that they're there. But why are they trying to do it? They're trying to find gold or precious stones or all these. And they do. They find incredible things. But then he asks in verse 12 of chapter 28, but where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? And he goes on to describe wisdom. He says, we can't find it. We can't buy it. Even if we could find it, what would we buy it with? And he says, the price of wisdom is above rubies. Time out. There are two things in the Bible that the Lord said are far above rubies. Their price is far above rubies. Wisdom and a virtuous woman. So ladies, let me give you just a nugget here. I hope you understand just how incredible you are to the Lord. How precious you are in the Lord's sight. In my entire word, I'm going to describe two things as their price being far above rubies. One is wisdom, which the Bible says, in, in all thy getting, wisdom and get understanding and I will only describe one other thing in this world as being that precious a woman who lives for the Lord don't forget that but he says who can find wisdom and if we could find it could we buy it with anything no so then look in verse 20 whence then cometh wisdom where is the place of understanding I don't know. I don't know where it's from. The only thing that God has really told us about wisdom, because God is the source of wisdom, Job says, the only thing he's really told us about wisdom is the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. He says that in the end of the chapter. He continues in chapter 29. 
and he begins describing his life before the trial came. Oh, that I were in months past, when my children were about me, when his candles shined upon me. And he starts describing all these things. Time out. How many times has something happened in your life, and you, you keep looking back, and you keep on saying, I wish it was the way it was before. I wish I could go back and change that. I wish I could undo what I did. And Job didn't realize God had a much better future than his past ever was. Job, if you knew the future that God had for you, you would want nothing to do with your past, no matter how good it was. But he keeps saying, oh, that I were in months past, not realizing that God had a precious future for him. Oh, that I were in months past, and he, he starts describing his, his situation and basically how, how horrible it is that, you know, God was blessing him, his children were about him, young people respected him, older people listened to his words, and he answers Eliphaz's accusations against him. He said, actually, Eliphaz, I took care of orphans, I took care of widows, I took care of the fatherless. So that's a baseless accusation against me. When I was doing so well, I did take care of those people. People listened to me. I sat chief among men. But then he says in chapter 30, now young people despise me. No older person listens to me. My own family, my own wife has deserted me. Basically told me to curse God and die. Now my own friends are coming after me. Nothing is the way it was before. I used to weep for those who were in trouble. I would pray for them. I would do everything I can to help them. And now that I'm in this position, they're mocking me. And nobody's helping me. And in chapter 31, he's going to kind of end here. His friends had accused him of being a hypocrite, right? His friends had told him, maybe you were good at hiding it, but you did something. So Job starts naming off all of these inward sins that nobody would have known he was partaking of, even if he was partaking of them. He starts with one that you know right away. I've made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid? You're telling me that I'm hiding all these things. No, no, I've never been immoral. I've never lusted against everybody else. And he lists all these things. Read the chapter, it's incredible. He says, I've never committed fraud. I've never been greedy. I've never committed adultery. I've never been unfair to my servants. I've never been unmerciful to the poor, to the fatherless or the widow. I've never trusted in riches. I've never engaged in idolatry. I've never sought vengeance or cursed somebody else. I've never neglected strangers. I've never covered my sin. Wow, Job. But what did the Lord say about him? Hast thou considered my servant Job a man perfect and upright? That feareth the Lord and escheweth evil. Is Job making this up? He's telling the truth. Look in verse 35 through 37 of chapter 31. Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me. He's ending his speech. This is my desire. You friends, no more from you. I want God to answer me. That's my desire. And if I have done anything wrong, he ends in the chapter, if I've done anything wrong, let thistles grow instead of wheat and cockle instead of barley, the words of Job are ended. And it's here where we're introduced to a man named Elihu, the Boozite. And apparently he's been watching and he's been listening the entire time, but he's young. He's younger than all of them, so he didn't feel that it was his place to say anything. And that's a good That's a good position to take when you're young. However, now that all the other men have said their piece and they've gotten nowhere, Elihu gets angry. And the Bible tells us why. He's angry at Job because he was more willing to justify himself than he was to justify God. Elihu didn't like that. Elihu was angry at the friends because they, uh, how does the Bible put it? They found no answer and yet had condemned Job. They didn't know the reason why, but they still condemned him anyway. Elihu didn't like that. 
So in chapter 32, Elihu is going to give his opinion of why bad things happen. And he does so by addressing the entire conversation. And first he addresses the friends. And he says, I haven't spoken because I'm young and I wanted to keep my place. But you have showed me that age is no guarantee of wisdom. It says, the Lord gives wisdom to whoever he wants, regardless of age. So you have all had your chance to speak and you have helped zip, zilch, goose egg, donut. So I'm going to propose a new opinion. He says, I am not going to echo anything that you have said. I'm going to give a new opinion. I'm going to speak all that is on my heart, and I'm going to speak impartially. In chapter 33, then he talks to Job, and he says, Job, I want you to hear me. I'm going to speak from my heart, and if I'm wrong, tell me. That's a good approach. If I'm going to tell you what I think about it and what I'm seeing, and if I'm wrong, tell me. Speak out. Read verse 5 and 6 of chapter 33. If thou canst answer me, set thy words before, in order before me. Stand up. Say something. Behold, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. What did Job just said? I desire that the Almighty would answer me. Elihu says, I'll, I'll do that. I will be according to thy wish. I also am formed out of the clay. I am a man just like you. I promise, Job, I'm not going to tear you down. Let me speak. And he starts quoting a lot of Job's past arguments, proving that he was listening. He said, Job, you said that you are clean without transgression, right? And I could see Job shaking his head. And you said that there is no iniquity in you. You said that God has found occasion against you, that he counts you for an enemy, that he's put your feet in stocks, that he has marked all your paths. And you are upset that God is doing this for, quote, unquote, no reason. Job doesn't say anything. Look in verse 12. Behold, in this thou art not just. Now here we're thinking, oh, here goes Elihu, great. No, give him some time. In this thou art not just, I will answer thee that God is greater than man. Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. You are saying, God, tell me why. If he told you once, if he told you twice, you wouldn't understand it. Because God is so much greater than man. We can never understand him. Job at one point had complained about having dreams. Lord, even when I'm trying to go to sleep, I have nightmares. And Elihu says, don't you realize that's how God speaks to you? You're saying God isn't speaking to you. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. That's how God speaks to you. Um, so let's see here. Obviously, the, the main issue being addressed is Job's suffering and Job's plagues and, and his pain and everything. Job believed it was because God was angry at him. The friends believed it's because Job did something wrong. Elihu says, both of you are wrong. Everything that God does is out of love and for your good. That's why God does everything. God finds every reason he can to show grace. And Elihu says something incredible. He says, when man does right... God sees it, and he shows him favor. When man does wrong, but then the man comes back and says, Lord, that was unprofitable to me. I know it was wrong. God chooses to view the confession rather than the sin that brought the confession. That's how incredible our God is. That's how gracious he is. When we mess up, but we're the ones to say, Lord, I did it, and it brought no profit to me. He's not going to look at the sin. He's going to look at your confession. That's what Elihu brings out. Read, uh, let's read verse 29 and 30. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man. Why? To bring back his soul from the pit. Job, he doesn't do anything to push you away. God does everything out of love and for your good to bring you in, to bring you closer than you were before. That's why this is happening. He never desires to push anyone away. And he basically asked Job, am I making sense so far? If I'm not, say something. But if I'm making sense, I'm going to keep talking. Elihu's doing very well. Chapter 34, he continues and he addresses everybody in verse 4. Let us choose to us judgment. Let us know among ourselves what is good. And he lists some more arguments of Job. Job had said he was righteous. Job had said that God had taken away his judgment. Verse 9, for he hath said... Job hath said, it profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. Remember, Job said at one point, whether I'm good or whether I'm evil, God can punish me. So basically, Job is saying it doesn't matter. 
And Elihu is saying, no, that's the, wrong, that's the wrong viewpoint of it. Job, you're saying that God has done this to you for no reason, and you're very wrong. Look in chapter 10. There, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 34, verse 10. Therefore, hearken unto me, ye men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. For the work of a man shall he render unto him, and cause every man to find according to his ways. Yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. The friends believed God only allowed bad things to happen to bad people. Job said he was not a bad person, therefore God allowed this for no reason. Elihu says God does nothing for no reason. But perhaps the reason was not to correct you. Perhaps the reason was to grow you. But there's certainly a reason, Job. You can't be sitting here saying there's no reason for it. There's certainly a reason. And you have no right to question God's motives. Would you accuse a king of being unjust? No, you would never do that to an earthly king. Why are you going to do it to the Lord? Who, set up, who sets up kings and who can take kings down. Everything God does is right. Everything he does is final. Instead of questioning him, look at what he says in verse 30, uh, 31. Instead of questioning God, maybe you should say this. Surely it is meet to be said unto God, I have borne chastisement. I will not offend anymore. That which I see not teach thou me. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Job's friends, the three, were concerned with some supposed wickedness of Job's past. Elihu is not concerned with that. Elihu is concerned with the wrong attitude in the present that Job is showing. And he brings that out. Chapter 35, it's a little warm in here, Brother Rusty. Could we turn down some, uh, the AC, turn it to about 15. Chicago weather. Chapter 35. The big thing that Elihu had a problem with Job about was Job was basically saying that God was being unjust, right? And, and just you're, you're doing things uh, for no reason. Elihu doesn't like that. And basically Elihu's saying this must be God's will and you're rebelling against God's will. So he continues by naming some of these words that Job had spoke, quote unquote, without knowledge, uh, which he calls out in verse 35 of chapter 34. Job has spoken without knowledge. His words were without wisdom. He starts calling these out in chapter 35. Job was more willing to justify himself rather than God, even went so far to imply that being right with God was unprofitable. Elihu then says, do you really believe that anything you do would be profitable to God? I mean, let's, let's just be honest. Nothing you do would be profitable. If you are as wicked as can be, does your wickedness affect God? Now hold on to your answer. If you are as righteous as can be, does your righteousness profit God anything? Certainly God is grieved by wickedness and God is pleased by righteousness, but neither of them affect who he is. No matter what we do, God is God. And that's Elihu's argument. Job said, God doesn't hear the cries of the oppressed. Elihu says next, Job, it's not that you are so low that God won't hear you. It's that we are often so prideful God won't hear us. Even when he tries to bring us down, we stand on whatever leg we can. And that's vain. And God doesn't hear vain words. And he says this to Job. Job, you seem to believe that something you say is going to fix this. If I could argue with God, if I could talk to God, if I could reason with God, you seem to think that something you say is going to fix this. God's will is God's will. So instead of being so worried about talking to him, why don't you just trust him? That is Elihu's argument. And he begins his final remarks to Job in chapter 36. And he says, please listen to me and look in verse 5. Behold, God is mighty and despiseth not any. He is mighty in strength and wisdom. Everything God does is for our learning. Being right with God does not exempt us from trials. Amen to that. Being right with God does not exempt us from trials. And Elihu says, but Job, how you respond to those trials is very important. If you listen you'll be blessed. If you reject him, you'll be brought to death. And Job, right now, you're rejecting this trial. And if you keep going down this road, you need to stop before it's too late. Consider how great God is. 
Consider how great God is. And in chapter 37, he starts listing off his own description of God. And he starts describing the worst of God. He says, Job, look at the light outside. And look at the clouds. And look at the storms. And it's incredible to think the very next chapter, God is going to speak to Job out of a whirlwind. And people are thinking that that is brewing up right now. And Elihu is pointing it out. Look at the light. Look at the clouds. Look at the storms and the rain that God brings. Consider how great God is. Think about the sky. Think about the wind. Think about the snow. He says, Job, if we have learned to accept the weather forecast, whatever the weather brings, let's make the most out of it. Let's make the best out of it. Why can't you do that with the trials that God brings to you? That's a really good point. You have your plans, but you wake up the next morning and it's raining. You are planning for sunny skies, but it's raining. Well, I'm just going to lock myself in my room and not do anything. No, you make the best of it. Go outside and jump in the puddles. He says, Job, you accept the weather? Whatever weather God sends, you accept that, but you're not going to accept his trial? It doesn't make any sense. Look at the very end of chapter 37, verse 23. Touching the Almighty, we cannot find him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment and in plenty of justice. He will not afflict. Men do therefore fear him. He respecteth not any that are wise of heart. Here is Elihu's argument. We can't know why bad things happen. But because of how great God is, you'll never be able to understand him. But because of how great God is, you'll always be able to trust him. Now God's going to come on the scene in chapter 38. But before we get to that, let's remember what the friends have said. At this point, the friends say, bad things only happen when we do bad things. Job, own up to it, and things will get better again. Job says, I haven't done anything bad, therefore God is doing this for no reason. Elihu says, God does everything for a reason. Perhaps the reason wasn't to punish you, but to grow you. But because you don't have the right attitude, you're not going to grow from this. You need to have the right attitude. You're so worried about the cause that you're missing the effect. Now, all three groups, especially, all three groups, but especially Job and his friends, are basing their arguments off of what? What is the pattern that we have brought out? What do they keep saying back and forth to each other? I know who the Lord is. I know his character. I look in the past history and I see how he works. This is who he is. He does this and he does that and that. And Job goes, oh yeah? I know more. And he starts listing all. God comes on the scene and he's going to say, you don't know anything about me. <laughs> you have no clue who I am and why I do what I do. Look in chapter 38. God answers Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, and this is his first issue with Job, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Job is all saying, I know. He says, you are without knowledge. Verse 3, gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. <laughs> Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the world? And look at what God answers, if thou hast understanding. Look at verse 5. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Job, you keep saying you know everything. You know nothing. Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I made the sea and I told the sea, I don't care how proud your waves are out in the sea, when you get to this point, you stop. Where were you when I, where are you every morning when I tell the sun to move? Every morning, God commands the sunrise. Go. It's your time. That's how fast you go. Don't go any faster. And that's why it's so incredible when Joshua said, Son, stay. What did God say? Okay. When Hezekiah said, Can the, can the shadow go back 10 degrees? 10 degrees? God said, Okay. 
Because he's the one who tells us something what to do. Job, where were you? What do you know of the springs and the depths of the sea? Do you know, Job, that there's a gate of death? Where is it? Do you know that there's a storehouse where I keep all the hail and the rain and the snow? Where's that? And Job is thinking, how am I supposed to answer this? I didn't even know that was a thing until you, until you asked it. Job, what parts the light? What diffuses it? Job, what causes the wind to scatter? What causes rain and dew and frost? Can you command the stars? Can you command the clouds? Can you command the lightnings? Do you feed the lions? Do you feed the ravens? Somebody's got to feed them. Do you feed them? Do you hear when the young cry for food? Who do you think think feeds them? Mother nature. No, Father God. Job's argument was based on how much he knew God. God's argument, you know nothing. In verse 4, if thou hast understanding. In verse 5, if thou knowest. In verse 18, hast thou perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare if thou knowest it all. Verse 21, knowest thou it because thou wast then born or because thy number of thy days is so great? Chapter 39, God calls out Job's belief that he was not being compassionate. And he tells Job, you realize I take care of the beasts of the field? You're going to say that I'm not being fair? I take care of the beasts of the field. I make sure that they're protected when they give birth. He starts naming off these animals. Think of the ostrich, Job. She lays her egg right, on, right in the ground where anybody can come up and step on it. But she lays her egg on the ground and she walks away and she doesn't care. You know why? Because I told her not to care. He starts naming something else. He starts naming uh, the horse. Job, you can strap up a horse for battle. You could flash a sword in front of it. You could put spears in front of it. It's not going to care doesn't care one bit. It is as brave as it can get. You know why? Because I made it brave. What about the birds? They nest up in the sky. They hunt from up above so that they can look down and they can swoop in. Because what does a bird have for defense against anything? Who do you think taught it to nest up evolution? No, I told it. When I made the bird, don't nest on the ground, dumb creature. Nest up there. I gave you the ability to fly, so nest up high. And the bird probably went, yes, sir, and taught all of its other things to do that. Descend to to instances and try. An ox will not attempt to fly, nor leave its pasture in the wood to swim with fishes in the flood. Man only acts of every creature in opposition to his nature. When God told the birds and the ostrich and the lion and all this, this is what you do. Yes, sir. God tells man, this is what you do. No. There is nothing on this earth or the universe that doesn't depend depend on God's commands. God's first issue with Job is you darken counsel of words without knowledge. So God showed him just how little he truly knew. He's going to come up with his second issue now in chapter 40. His second issue with Job is that he disannulled God's judgment. You are saying that I do not have judgment. That what I am doing is unfair. That what you are going through is wrong. You have disannulled my judgment. Look in chapter 40, verse 1 through 5. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. And I'm sure he waited for a long time. Job then answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. And so God says, okay, if you're not going to talk, then you're going to listen. My second issue with you is that you are disannulling my judgment. Who are you to question my judgment? Are you as powerful as me? Are you as majestic as me? And then God challenges Job. Okay, Job, you find every proud person in the world and abase him. You find every wicked person and tread him down. And he says this in verse 14. Then will I confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. You find every proud person, bring him down. You find every wicked person and bring him down as well. Who would be left? 
Who would be left? Lord, if thou markest iniquities, who shall stand? It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. And as God closes his discourse, this is my favorite part of the whole book. He describes two animals to Job. Big ones. One named Behemoth and one named Leviathan. Who is it? I don't know. No, and it really doesn't matter, okay? The point is that they existed, and they were awesome. And he starts talking about the behemoth, how the behemoth is this uh, unbelievably strong creature, and his tail is like a cedar tree moving back and forth. His bones are as strong as brass and iron. In verse 19, he says, he is the chief of the ways of God. He can drink up a river. And nothing stands in his way. Nothing stands in the behemoth's way because of how incredible it is. Chapter 41, he starts talking about Leviathan, this fearful creature. He can't be snared. He can't be tamed. He can't be played with. He can't be hunted for food. God basically dares Job. Job, mess with Leviathan. Go find one and mess with it. Nobody messes with one. Who dares stir him up? All of his strength and his power comes from me. His teeth are terrible. His scales are so tightly knit. Air can't even pass through him. His neck is strong. His heart is like stone. Even the mighty are afraid of him. Iron is like straw to him. Nobody can kill him. Look in verse 33 of chapter 41. Upon earth there is not his like who is made without fear. He beholdeth all high things. He is king over all the children of pride. And that's how God ends his argument with Job. Why? Does anybody know why? Seems kind of weird. Lord, why don't you just tell Job why you did what you did? Here, here's God's answer. You have no idea who I am. Who are you to say that I have no judgment? And here's proof. Behemoth and Leviathan. But he tells us why. He tells us why in chapter 41, verse 10. This piercing verse, while describing Leviathan, none is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Wow. Job, if you can't even understand the creatures that I've made, if you stand in awe before the creatures that I've made, if you won't mess with the creatures that I've made, what makes you think you can understand or question me? What makes you think you can disannul my judgment? What makes you think that you know everything? And that leads us up to the last chapter. Now, up to this last chapter, see if you agree with me, there are four things that bother me throughout the book. And let me know just by shaking your head if it bothers you as well. The first thing that bothers me about this book is that such a good man as Job was so quick to justify himself rather than God. That bothers me. The second thing that bothers me is that such wise men as Job as his friends, and they were friends, it bothers me that they were so quick to condemn each other. That bothers me. Third one was, it bothers me that Job had gone through so much pain and suffering. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. It bothers me that Job went through that. And to see his struggle and his pain, because in many ways, we are Job. And the fourth thing is that nobody understands why. Nobody understands why it happens. Those are the four things. And in the last chapter, we are going to find tangible answers to three of those four things. The first one is Job gets right with God. And he first addresses the issue that God had with him, that he had disannulled his judgment. He says in verse 2, Lord, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. I am not going to disannul your judgment anymore. In verse 3, he addresses the issue that he had um, darkened counsel without knowledge. And he basically calls himself out. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? It's me. Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. 
Hear, I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Job is right with God. So the first thing that bothered me, it's done. He's right with God. Second thing that bothers me, that their friends were so quick to condemn him. Well, God calls him out. He says, you have not spoken right about me as Job has. Time out. Did everything that Job say about God ring true? Was everything right? No. But he had gotten right. God doesn't bring up sin that has been gotten right. You have not spoken right about me as Job had. He says, you need to get right. First of all, you need to get right with me. And he tells the friends, you need to do a sacrifice and you need to get right with me. And second, you need to get right with Job. And you know how he tells them to get right with Job? You humble yourself and you go up to Job and you ask him to pray for you because I'm not going to hear your prayer. And they have to go up to Job and say, Job, we're sorry. Would you pray for us that God would forgive us? And Job prays for his friends. In verse 10, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when... He prayed for his friends. Job, at that moment, could have come back and said, I ain't praying for you in any way after all you said about me. You told me I was the reason my kids are dead. No, I'm not praying for you. But immediately, Job forgave him. And that's when God turned his captivity, when he humbled himself. So, Job is right with God. The friends are right with each other. Job's pain and suffering, God gives him twice as much as he had before. The Job's ending days were better than his beginning, the Bible says. So that has been answered. But where do we all come back to? The question that we had at the very beginning. Why do bad things happen? Anybody have the answer? Now, we see the fact that God had that meeting with Satan and everything. Job never did. Job never saw that. We see that Halihu's answer was, was, was good. God didn't include him in the friends that were, uh, that were wrong. Uh, we see that Elihu says, maybe it's, it's here to grow you. Maybe it's here to make you better. But God never comes back and says, yes, that's exactly why I did it. He basically says, stop questioning me and trust me. So where's our answer? Where's our answer to why do bad things happen? The only thing that God teaches us is that we can never hope to understand why God does everything that he does. We can never hope to understand it. Even if we could find our answer, it would blow our mind. How can we ever understand God when we don't even understand his creation? When there are multitudes of facts about his creation that we will never know, what hope do we have to know God who made everything? The only things we know about God is what he chooses to reveal to us through his word. And let's be honest, we don't even know this very well. We don't read our Bible the way that we should. We don't pray the way that we should. You get to know somebody through communication, and oftentimes our communication is not what it should be. We spend most of our time struggling to find the answers that God has never planned for us to know rather than spending our time and just getting to know him. And if we get to know him, we'll trust him. But we're so busy trying to figure out the cause that we're missing the effect. We're so busy looking back at our past. I wish, I wish it could be before all of this. And God's saying, why don't you turn around and look at the future that I have for you? but I don't understand why everything's happening. You're never going to understand. Put your head down, trust me, and move forward. I do not understand 2020. It's Greek to me. No clue. I don't understand what's going on with the government. I don't understand what's going on with the virus. You, you want to stay home because you don't want to catch it, but it's not going to go away until enough people catch it. So you can't go out to the grocery store unless you need to go to the grocery store. But when you go to the grocery store, make sure you wear a mask, unless you can't wear a mask. But if you can't wear a mask, then we're going to chastise you for not wearing a mask. We're going to let out 18,000 prisoners because of COVID. But we're going to put Baptist preachers back in because of COVID. I don't understand it. 
So I'm either going to spend this entire year, Lord, why, 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 why? Or I'm going to look forward and say, what next? I'd rather spend my life that way. Because I don't know about you, I'm done with 2020. So I am declaring at Heritage Baptist Church, fresh slate. Let's move forward. Let's trust the Lord and who he is. He's so great, we'll never understand. But he's so great, we can always trust him. I understand it's never going to be ideal. I understand people have pre-existing conditions and all of that. But I'm ready to go. Coming in, we have this rain cloud over our head. Nobody clap because COVID might hear. Seriously. God's greater than COVID. God crushed the devil while he was dead. God crushed the devil by dying. Then he can do whatever he wants while he's living. That's the God we serve. I've gotten away from my notes, so I'm going to look back and figure out what's going on. A preacher wrote this. Job teaches us it is not about finding the answers to your questions. It's getting to the point in your relationship with God where you don't need answers. We should write that down. It's not about finding the answers to your questions. It's getting to the point in your relationship with God where you don't need answers. Can we trust a God who loved us enough to come to earth and die in a rugged cross and raise again so that we can be forgiven? Yes, we can trust him and we must trust him. You need to trust him with your soul. If you're here and you're not saved, you need to trust him with your soul. If you trust him with your eternal soul, trust him with your life. Trust him with your health. Trust him with his will for you. Lord, whatever you want. Okay. You know why? It's only then that we can truly say, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself. Mine eyes shall behold him and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Lord, you do whatever you want. I know you're alive. And if I know you're alive, I know I'll see you someday. What is the main message of Job? Here it is, church. No matter what may come, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. So thank God for such a Savior. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.